Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The volume. The best Thursday of the year is coming up, and it's all about NFL opening night. Football is back, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is hooking up new customers with a can't-miss offer to celebrate. Place your first $5 NFL bet and score $200 in bonus bets instantly. DraftKings is hooking everyone up with game day greatness. All customers can take advantage of two new offers every single game day this September. Check the app to see what you get. Don't wait till kickoff to get in on this hype. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code HOOPS. New customers get $200 in bonus bets instantly when you bet just $5. That's code HOOPS, H-O-O-P-S, only on DraftKings Sportsbook. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21-plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. See dkng.co slash football for eligibility, terms, and responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Wednesday, everybody. I hope all of you guys are having a great week so far. We are live on AMP, so if you're watching on YouTube or listening on the podcast feeds, don't forget that AMP is the very first place that you guys can get these shows. We are continuing our top 25 players of the last 25 years today with number four, Steph Curry. It's going to be a fun one. And then I've got two mailbag questions as well in the show. You guys know the drill before we get started. Subscribe to The Volume's YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss any show announcements. And if for whatever reason you miss one of these videos and you can't get back over to YouTube to finish, don't forget you can find them wherever you get your podcasts under Hoops Tonight. Also looking for more mailbag questions over the course of the rest of this week and potentially into the future. So drop those into the YouTube comments. 
I saw several people complaining in the last video that we've been doing the mailbag questions off the top. So I'm going to listen to you guys and swap it. We're going to move the player rankings piece to the front of the show, and then we'll do the mailbag questions at the end. Just so you guys know, for future reference, um, our YouTube team works really hard to add chapters. So if you if I'm ever talking about something that you could care less about, just go to the chapters and you could probably find the topic that you're specifically interested in, especially when we get into the regular season and you guys know I'm hitting on like six or seven different topics a day sometimes. That tool can be useful for you guys, so you'll find that again in the description. Our YouTube team works really hard on that. But for today, <clears throat> we'll start with Steph and then we'll hit the mailbag questions at the very end. So number four, Steph Curry is accolades, four-time NBA champion, best player on two championship teams, best or second best player on two championship teams. That's kind of what I said about KD. I'm not going to give either of them credit or for being one or two on that team. I'm just going to keep it vague for both of them. Uh, four-time first-team All-NBA, nine-time All-NBA overall, won the scoring champion, uh, uh, was the scoring champion in 2016 and 2021, led the league in steals in 2016, won back-to-back -back regular season MVPs in 2015 and 2016, and won the NBA Finals MVP in 2022. Now, to be clear, I credit Steph as a two-time Finals MVP. I thought he deserved to win the award in 2015. That stretch there was a really bizarre stretch from NBA voters where they did this really weird thing where they kept like just hawking the box score and, and following narratives instead of looking at the obvious structure of the basketball team. Like Steph was getting blitzed on every single pick and roll out 30 feet from the basket and the Warriors were playing four on three in the back end. <clears throat> and Andre Iguodala was getting wide open backdoor cut dunks out of the weak side corner and wide open threes out of the weak side corner. And everyone like looked at his points per game numbers. And then the fact that he held LeBron to below average efficiency, which was more a product of Kyrie and Kevin Love being out and the Warriors really loading up on him. It, there was really no legitimate case for Andre Iguodala to win the finals MVP in 2015, except for people, especially in the media, buying into narratives and box scores and not really understanding what was happening on the basketball team. Steph Curry was by far the best player on the team. He was the engine that made everything work. That was, that, that was the case from the first game of the season all the way through to the end of the NBA championship. He Steph was the one who uh, played super well in the pivotal game five game at home in Golden State. Like He deserved to win finals MVP. That's just the way I see it. I, I think that anybody who points to you know, one finals MVP as a, as a downside for Steph is, is being dishonest in that particular case. I, I think that he was clearly the best player on two championship teams and deserves credit as such. His claim to fame is that he was the best shooter ever. Now, to be clear, simply referring to Steph as the best shooter ever is a really big underrepresentation of what Steph can do as a basketball player. He was also a top five ball handler ever. He's a very gifted scorer. Remember, scoring to me is like an art. It's like a improvisational shot making thing. And like, the, it's hard to explain, but like a good score has just a natural feel for how to generate baskets in the margins of basketball, like outside of your wide open stuff that comes in the flow of the offense. And Steph has always been very good at that. He's the very best off-ball player in NBA history. He's also an excellent passer. Remember when Mark Jackson had him on the ball for the most part, he averaged nine assists per game in 2014 before Steve Kerr came in and moved him into a lot more off-ball situations. He's also a savage competitor. I think he's the best leader in the game right now. There's no drama with Steph. There's no highs and lows. He just keeps a, a, a good even keel throughout the season. He only cares about winning. 
uh, doesn't give a shit about media or, or, or the way that he's talked about. That's why he invited Kevin Durant into that situation. I, I don't think many stars in NBA history would have done so. Steph just only cares about winning. And, and I think that that speaks very highly to the type of leader that he is. But make no mistake, he is the greatest shooter to ever touch a basketball as well. So for fun, I put together three stats for you guys to de- demonstrate just how far ahead of the field Steph is as a shooter. So, number one, Steph has made 3.83 per game in his career. Nobody else in NBA history is over 3.2 points per game. So, a significant gap there. He also, since the 2016 MVP season, is averaging 4.7 three pointers made per game. Number two, Steph has four seasons with at least 300 made threes. The rest of the players in NBA history combine for only two. Last but not least, in the 2016 season, Steph made 223s off the dribble. Nobody else in the league made more than 126. 94 more off the dribble threes than anybody else in the league. Among the other 18 players in the league who made at least 50 pull-up threes that season, not a single one of them managed to crack 40%. And Steph shot 44% on them. He basically invented high-volume pull-up three-point shooting. And since then, the league has been trying to catch up. And the crazy thing is, even though the league has been trying to catch up, Steph has still maintained his lead as the best pull-up jump shooter in the league. This season, there were 47 players who attempted at least 300 pull-up jump shots, and Steph was the only player in that list to crack 60% in effective field goal percentage. He shot 46% on pull-up twos and and made 149 pull-up threes at 43%, which came out to a 61% effective field goal percentage. Only guy in the league with over 300 makes to be over, uh, or over 300 attempts to be over 60% effective field goal percentage. The very best shooter in NBA history, and it is not close. Now, Steph's crowning achievement, in my opinion, was winning the 2022 NBA Championship and Finals MVP. Now, a lot of you guys might think unanimous MVP in 2016, right? But I want to tell a story because I think Steph's career path is one of the more interesting career paths from any star in NBA history. And there was a narrative that formed from 2015 to right before he won the championship in 2022 that I don't think was particularly fair, not really close to fair, but it was kind of the prevailing opinion around the uh, NBA fan bases outside of Golden State. Obviously, Golden State fans, you got to remember, like within that like specific kind of bubble, everyone thinks Steph's the best. Uh, Most of them think Steph's above LeBron all time. A a lot of them think Steph has been the best player in the league for the better part of a decade. So obviously, you got to kind of set the Warriors fans aside for a second and look at the rest of the league and the rest of fans, the vast majority of basketball fans kind of bought into this narrative for a while. And and I think that Steph resoundingly got rid of and proved that narrative false in the 2022 NBA Finals. And so I want to kind of paint a picture of Steph's career and kind of explain just what was at stake when we got to that NBA Finals series against Boston. So, uh, again, we got to look at the beginning. Steph does not get recruited by high major college programs, goes to Davidson and kicks everyone's ass in college anyway. He slips to seventh in the draft and goes behind guards like Tyreek Evans and Ricky Rubio and Johnny Flynn. A lot of concerns about his size and athleticism, right, from, from scouts. 
His early career shows some promise, but then he runs into some ankle injuries. He ends up sitting out most of the 2012 season to get his ankles right. And as a result, ends up signing a discounted contract. If I remember correctly, it was four years, $44 million. That ended up being one of the primary factors in them being able to sign Kevin Durant as we look into the future. So he comes back in 2013 and immediately pops, averages 23-4-7. The Warriors go 47-35. and They win a first-round series against Denver, and then Steph has this crazy game one against the Spurs. It's kind of like his coming out party in the playoffs. Drops 44 in a double overtime loss. They end up taking the Spurs to six games, but the Spurs do eventually get him under control. But Steph kind of pops onto the scene as a legitimate playoff performer, right? Then we go into 2014. You're going to see a rapid ascent here from Steph. Makes the All-NBA team for the first time. Finishes second team All-NBA. Finishes sixth in MVP voting. The Warriors go 51-31, and and they lose a seven-gamer heartbreak to the Clippers As a matter of fact, the Warriors were actually up by one with just over two minutes left in Game 7, but Blake Griffin takes over down the stretch. The Clippers would run this like high uh, ISO for Blake Griffin right at the top of the key. And uh, he did it twice against Draymond in the final minutes and got two big buckets. And then uh, DeAndre Jordan had a massive uh, block on Steph Curry at the rim. So the Clippers end up pulling out. Uh, a game seven and the Warriors go home in the first round. But then in 2015, in the summer coming into that season, so summer of 2014, they get rid of Mark Jackson. They bring in Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr fundamentally changes the way the Warriors play offense. He has this obsession with the total number of passes that the team has, and he wants to lead the league in total number of passes made. They immediately do. Their offense skyrockets. They finish 67-15, and 15, seven games ahead of the rest of the field in the NBA standings that year. Steph finishes the season averaging 24 points, four rebounds, and eight assists, makes first-team All-NBA for the first time, wins his first MVP award, and the Warriors win the NBA championship. And like I said, he didn't get the finals MVP, but Steph absolutely should have gotten the MVP in 2015. It was one of the biggest travesty award uh, uh, decisions in NBA history, in my opinion. So 2016, again, I'm not putting this as Steph's crowning achievement. What I am putting this at is what I think is the coolest moment of Steph's career. So you got to look at the context here. He's already the NBA's defending MVP. He's already the defending champion and should be defending finals MVP. But Steph is such a psychopath that he decides he's not good enough. Steph uh, since then has said that he was obsessed in the summer of 2015 with leg strength. Something that I talk about all the time with young basketball players and I've talked about a lot on this show. Leg strength is one of the most under... uh, um, uh, one of the most underrated elements of skill development that doesn't get talked about or, or or emphasized enough with young players. And the reason why is a lot of people think of it as just this thing that's loosely associated with dunking. But like the reality is, is leg strength is the number one element in any sort of movement jump shooting. So again, if you think of your jump shot as like a machine, right? Like a, a muscle memory machine. If you're a really good jump shooter, you have crafted a form that you can replicate thousands and thousands and thousands of times. And as a result, like in any sort of static standstill environment, like most of the best shooters in the world shoot over 70% on standstill jump shots, right? And the very, very best will be up over 80, 90, like Steph's over 90% on standstill jump shots, but most of the top tier shooters in the world are over 80% and the really, really good ones are up over 70%, right? Like that's your muscle memory, right? But then you get into a game and you're running up and down in, in uh, transition. You're uh, chasing guys around on defense. The 
game is physical. And so that kind of muscle memory gets disrupted. And that gets even further disrupted when you start taking movement shots. Because now, not only are you fatigued from the other elements of the game, but you're flying off of screens or you're making a move off of the dribble to get into a dribble combination, footwork, whatever it is, to get to a pull-up three, right? Or a pull-up jump shot, right? So in those situations, all of the movement that precedes the shot, your leg strength is what allows you to stop on a dime wherever you're at and get the appropriate amount of lift so that you can go to your muscle memory that you practice so much in standstill situations. That's how you get to your release, right? And obviously you practice that leg strength outside of the weight room on the court when you're practicing those dribble jump shots and movement jump shots as well. But essentially your leg strength is what allows you to get into that shot off of any sort of movement or in any sort of fatigue situation. And Steph was obsessed with leg strength in the summer of 2015. And so he goes up a massive level, raises his scoring average by 6.3 points per game, makes 116 more threes than he did in 2015, including 69 more pull-up threes, averages a career-high 5.4 rebounds per game, leads the league in steals, So, like, imagine how insane of a competitor you'd have to be to literally be sitting on top of the basketball world, reigning MVP, should be reigning NBA Finals MVP, defending champion, and you're like, I'm not close to as good as I want to be. I'm going to get way better. He literally finished fourth in most improved player voting in 2016. I think it's one of the coolest stories from Steph Curry's career because it demonstrates that he's a legitimate psychopath competitor. What ended up happening as a result, the Warriors win 73 games, which was an NBA record. They make it to the NBA Finals, but then they run into the second-best basketball player ever to touch the earth at the absolute peak of his powers in LeBron James, and a red-hot Kyrie Irving, and they end up losing a heartbreaker in seven games. And so from there, that's where the narrative starts to form. This is the narrative that I'm referring to that culminates in the 2022 Finals. So in 2015, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love are hurt, right? And so the Cavs still take them to six with guys like Timofey Mozgov and Matthew Dellavedova and James Jones getting significant minutes in that series. And so, you know, everyone's like, okay, like maybe there's some luck at play there. Then in 2016, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love are healthy and the Cavs win. And so the narrative starts to form, right? Steph got lucky, didn't even win finals MVP, right? People start to undercut Steph as a player. Then we go into 2017, And Steph's, again, we talked about Steph's leadership earlier, but like Steph's leadership and him not giving a shit about the narrative and him not giving a shit about what people outside of the Warriors organization thinks, he just cares about winning basketball games. So he invites and takes good care of KD in his transition coming into Golden State, right? And again, you have to understand, Steph's a smart guy. Like, KD, I don't think, knew any better. Like, I I said this in the KD video. I think KD looked at the situation and was like, I just want to play the best basketball of my career. All I care about is basketball, so I'm going to go play with the Warriors, and they're going to help me become a better basketball player. I think KD was kind of oblivious to to the potential downsides of that narrative, right? I think Steph knew and just didn't care. I think Steph knew that if he brought in KD, that it would do some damage to his reputation around the league. And I I just literally think he doesn't give a shit. I think all he cares about is winning. And again, that's why I say he's the best leader in the NBA. So naturally, the KD-Steph Warriors whoop everyone's ass. They win 67 games. They win 15 consecutive playoff games. They win the title. 
They win again in 2018. Now, to be clear, like I said, Steph doesn't care. He's a three-time champion. The Warriors are now the most valuable franchise in the NBA. So Steph's doing great in this particular situation. But the narrative is growing, right? Because KD wins both finals MVPs in those two years, remember? KD and LeBron are filming commercials together. Remember that Uber commercial with, I think it was the two of them and Carrie Champion, if I remember correctly. But they're riding around in an Uber, like openly calling themselves the two best players in the world. And now to be clear, I thought that at this point, it was a tier of three players. I thought it was LeBron, Steph, and KD all on the top tier of the league with LeBron having a slight edge over the other two guys. But LeBron and KD were painting this narrative like it was them two and then everybody else. And and I to be like like I said not only do I think Steph was on the same tier as those guys, but I think Steph has clearly demonstrated that he's a better player than Kevin Durant in his career, right? So like so again, he's got four championships and two of them outside of the KD years, right? So Steph has won that battle, but again, I'm just talking about the narrative. And the narrative that's building at this point in time circa the summer of 2000 2018 is that it's LeBron and KD and then everyone else and Steph needed KD to come in and save him, right? Like that's the narrative, right? Then it gets worse because from 2019 to 2021, KD gets hurt in the 2019 playoffs and they lose in the finals, which only furthers that narrative. Bob Myers makes a couple of tough decisions, uh, bringing in guys like Kent Bazemore and Kelly Oubre, who weren't great fits in the Warriors system. And Clay Thompson obviously is out for two years with the Achilles injury and the, and the ACL injury. Um, Steph ends up missing the playoffs twice in a row. And at the same time, LeBron wins his fourth championship and fourth finals MVP with the Lakers in 2020, and KD has this kind of heroic playoff run in 2021 where he nearly beats the Bucks by himself with injured uh, Kevin, uh, or excuse me, with uh, Kyrie Irving out of the lineup and James Harden playing on a bad hamstring, right? So like, now the narrative is just officially out of control, right? Steph isn't even on the same level as these guys in a lot of these conversations. Everyone's saying he got lucky in 2015 and KD came in and carried him in 2017 and 2018. Now he can't even make the playoffs. To make things worse, LeBron hits a game winner over him in the in the play-in tournament, right? So like or not uh, like it's just it's just completely out of control at this point. So it gets so out of control that NBA players are starting to take shots at the Warriors. You guys might remember in 2021, at the beginning of the season, we get an actual quote from Damian Lillard. After the fifth game of the regular season, Damian Lillard says, quote, he's seeing that it's tough to get those quality looks now. It's different than what it looked like in the last four to five years. Actual quote from Damian Lillard. Actual peer in the league dancing on Steph's grave, for lack of a better term. Finding a respectful, passive-aggressive way, right? to kind of dance on Steph's grave. This is what was funny about it. That was the fifth game of the season. And uh, uh, I think the Warriors were two and five in the, or two and three in the first five games. Steph was shooting 42% from the field and 32% from three through the first five games. But here's the problem. The Blazers have to play the Warriors two nights later and Steph drops a career high 62 points on Damian Lillard in a win. Like I said, an absolute savage competitor. In that season, in the 2021 season where they missed the playoffs, He won the scoring title. He averaged 32 points per game on 66% true shooting, which is absolutely bonkers. Makes first-team All-NBA, finishes third in MVP voting. The Warriors actually went 37-26 and when Steph played, which is an excellent record. But like I said, the roster was weird. They had some poorly fitting role players. And 
Uh, Steph gets that bizarre tailbone injury where he falls. I think it, it was like uh, he f- fell down and landed on a step in the stadium, if I remember correctly. Golden State goes 2-7 and seven in the games where Steph doesn't play that year, so they end up in the play-in tournament. That's when Steph hit, or LeBron hits that game-winning three. Then they drop that game to Memphis, and suddenly Steph's like kind of ridiculously good season just gets swept under the rug, and that narrative like I'm talking about is kind of stronger than it's ever been. Coming into 2022, Bob Myers makes a couple of really smart adjustments to the roster. He brings in... Uh, gets rid of Kelly Oubre and Kent Bazemore. Brings in really smart ball movers that are like good players that fit in the Warrior system and Nemanja Bialica, Otto Porter, and Gary Payton. They come out the gates red hot. They win 18 of their first 20 games. Steph looks like he's in peak form. In the first 20 games, he averages 29, 6, and 7 and shoots 42% from three on 13 uh, uh, three attempts, uh, three-point attempts per game. But then Steph, if you guys remember, Steph gets close to the all-time three-point record. And it kind of just triggers this like weird phase of Warriors games where they're a little distracted. And Steph's shot selection isn't as good as it usually is because he's jacking up threes, trying to break the record. And he ends up shooting just 36% from three for the rest of the season. Then the Warriors start dropping games. They had a 2-8 and eight stretch with Steph in the lineup. Steph ends up spraining a ligament in his foot and missing the end of the regular season. The Warriors finish in their last 28 games 12-16. and 16. I, I, you know, and, and the, again, the reason why I tell all of this story is just to build up what was at stake going into that 2022 playoff run. You can imagine had they not won, just the way that Steph's career would be talked about, Right. Everything was teetering on the brink right around the time of that foot injury, right? Because Steph had just finished his first full regular season of his career where he shot below 40% from three. He averaged just 25.5 points per game, which was his lowest mark in five years. Steph is 33 years old at this point. Those of you guys who listen to the show, you'll remember I was saying at the time, like, it's one of two things. It's either just a really weird, bizarre, extended slump, or this is the beginning of Steph's decline. And I said, we're going to find out in the playoffs. And boy, did we find out. Because and now every every championship team catches a break, right? And the uh, the, the break that this particular championship team broke uh, or got was the, uh, the Denver Nuggets, right, in the first round. Because uh, Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. are out. So Denver just doesn't have the talent. So Steph gets to work his way back in. Because Steph didn't play at all in the regular season after the foot injury. He came off the bench in the first four games of the of the Nuggets series and got to kind of work his way back against the limited Nuggets team, right? Which was super important for the Warriors because it, it just kind of gave him essentially like a mini little training camp in the playoffs to get ready for the rest of the playoff run. But most importantly, Steph got out of his slump. He averaged 28 points per game in that series and shot over 40% from three, which were big indicators of what we expect from Steph when he's at his absolute peak. Uh, then we go into the Memphis series. Game four, they're up two games to one. Steph scores 18 points in the fourth quarter to go up 3-1. Not Steph's last great game four in that playoff run either. We'll get to that in a second. They close them out in six. They beat Dallas in five. That was the only time I was stupid enough to pick against the Warriors in that playoff run. I thought Luka was going to have some success against Golden State's lack of perimeter size, just hunting matchups the way he did against uh, Phoenix. But Wiggins just did an unbelievable job on him, and Luka never really... Luka put up numbers in that series, but he never really had control of the series. Warriors put together a really good team effort. They had six players in that series, average double figures, and they advanced to the NBA Finals. So the Boston series was interesting because Golden State was a slight favorite 
going in in Vegas. I think they were right around a minus 150 favorite. I actually picked Golden State to win in seven, but if you guys remember what I said before the series, it was going to be tough. And the reason why I picked it to go long was because I said Boston had the most talented roster in the NBA. They had demonstrated in the first three rounds of the playoffs that they were inexperienced. Basketball IQ is a shortcoming. They had really bad transition defense. They struggled with decision-making from their stars. But in terms of sheer talent, they were the most talented roster in the league, still are to this day. And in addition to that, I thought they had the best half-court defense that I've seen in this last like five to ten-year era, right? They were outstanding half-court defense. And they jumped Golden State to start that series. They had that crazy fourth quarter in game one. Then they win game three at home, and they're up two games to one with an opportunity at home to go up three games to one. That's when Steph in game four goes crazy. So Boston jumps out to an 11-4 to lead. The crowd's going crazy. Steph scores 43 points. I was going back to watch the game today. He hit five pull-up threes off the dribble in that game. Just go watch every bucket Steph made in game four of, of this Boston series. The sheer degree of difficulty was off the charts on almost every single shot he made in this game. It was one of the most incredible shot-making performances in NBA history. He hits two massive shots at the end of the fourth quarter, uh, drives around Robert Williams for a big floater to put him up three, and then hits the dagger over Derek White on the right wing, a little jab step three uh, to put him up by six, and they steal game four. And then they go home and win. Uh, again, you got to think, like, if they lose that game, they're down three games to one. Like, Boston probably wins the series if, if Steph doesn't do that in game four. Instead, they go home and they win to go up 3-2, and then Steph pours in another 34 in Game 6, and the Warriors win the NBA championship. Steph finally gets the Finals MVP he deserved a long time ago. And now the narrative looks stupid. Because again, like as we look back, everything hinged on that stupid narrative. Everything hinged that Steph was not at the same level as these guys at the top of the league. That he needed injury luck to win in 2015. That he couldn't beat LeBron when he was healthy at uh, with his whole team, that he needed KD to come in and win a championship. Oh, look, KD got hurt and they lost in the finals. Oh, look, they missed the playoffs twice after KD left. Like the narrative was it hinged on this idea that Steph wasn't very good and that he wasn't capable of doing something like beating a more talented team, you know, as the sole offensive engine on a basketball team, on the way to an NBA championship. He totally crumpled up and threw that entire narrative in the dumpster. And most importantly, now it kind of paints everything else in a different light. Now as you look back, you don't look at it as Steph getting carried along the way. Now you you look at it and you you have to acknowledge the consistent greatness from Steph from 2015 through to this year. And, and like, I, I I told you guys in that playoff run that I was rooting for Steph. And, and that was the reason why. Because, like, you know how it is. Like, I hate the narratives, personally, because, like, I'm a big basketball fan. And so, like, like you guys know I'm a huge LeBron James fan. And, like, there's, there's this narrative push with LeBron to try to make him the GOAT. I, I literally saw... Uh, Rich Paul go on a podcast the other day and say that he's the GOAT because he dealt with media pressure. And I'm like, can we make a basketball case for anything anymore? Like, can we just be like you guys heard like my GOAT case for LeBron was longevity and, and variety, all the different ways that he led different teams to success along the way. And it's like people can't just talk basketball anymore. It can't just be like 
It can't just be like, oh, um, Steph was a bona fide superstar, top tier superstar. And yeah, Kevin Durant coming in as another bona fide top tier superstar helped them win two championships. But that doesn't make Steph not a superstar. That doesn't mean Steph's not as good as KD or not as good as LeBron. Like, he was very much on the same level as those guys. The narratives took away from the basketball that was taking place. And, and again, like, in that 2021 season, they missed the playoffs. And Steph was easily the best regular season player that year, in my opinion. Like, do you remember the springtime? Do you guys remember the springtime in 2021? Steph was must-see television. I still remember to this day driving from a ski trip from Breckenridge back into Denver in a blizzard, watching on my phone as Steph Curry was lighting somebody on fire in a random regular season game, going crazy in the second. I don't even remember who they were playing because there were literally dozens of games like this in that spring. Like, the, what bothered me is like, and again, like this is where it gets to, we talk about like the benefit of the doubt and and why I hate minimizing championships. Why do I hate minimizing championships? Because in 2015, Steph Curry won an NBA championship. His team was seven games better than everybody in the regular season. He won regular season MVP. Did they catch a break in the NBA finals? Sure. But every championship team catches a break. Like I said, he hoisted the damn trophy. That should have stamped him for the rest of his career as a proven bona fide superstar. That should have colored everything else that we saw from Steph for the rest of his career. But instead, because of the narrative-based culture outside of the Warriors fan base, everybody wanted to undercut everything Steph was doing. Like I said, even Dame Lillard was stepping up and taking shots at his expense. And so what I loved about that 2022 championship is it just recolored and, and, and redefined everything from Steph's career. Now there's these bookends, right? Now it's like, instead of 2015 being the beginning of his phase of luck, now it's 2015 is the beginning of Steph's incredible superstar career. And 2022 is potentially, we'll see Steph has an opportunity again in the future to win, but 2022 is like that crowning achievement that just solidifies and proves that everything that took place over the, over that eight year span was at the same level as everybody else that was at the top of the league. Now I think Steph is firmly the second best player of this era. And I, when I say era, I mean just like this, this particular era, not the since 1998, like this list, but in this particular era. Um, I think he's firmly the fifth best perimeter player of all time. I moved him past Larry Bird after that 2022 championship. And as we go back over the last 25 years, I think he's the fourth best player in the post-MJ era to ever touch a basketball court. So I, I like, and you know what's great is uh, remember that slump that we were talking about? Well, not only did he prove it wrong in the playoffs by shooting 40% from three, but in this regular season this past year, 29, six and six on 66% true shooting and 43% from three on high volume, same old dominant Steph. Now all this other stuff went wrong for the Warriors. I won't get into it because we've talked about that at length on this show, but like, I just, it just feels good. It feels good as a fan of the game and as a fan of Steph. Like, like I say, LeBron's my favorite player. Steph is my second favorite player in the league. I love, I love his demeanor. His demeanor is what won me over. Just everything that makes him the type of basketball player that he is up here is what won me over with Steph. And, and I've become one of his biggest fans. And, and it was really cool to see that crowning achievement kind of change the way that he's perceived around the league. And now everyone's a, Steph's fan, a Steph fan. And now everyone's on board with it, right? Biggest what if. What if KD had not come to the Warriors in 2016? 
Uh, like I said before, I admire the hell out of Steph for bringing KD in in 2016, but it definitely hurt his perception around the league. I think he knew it would, and I just think he didn't care. But let's pretend, for the sake of this what if, what if Steph doesn't get KD in 2016? I think he probably still gets a title anyway, sometime, somewhere in the 2017 to 2019 range. Like I think LeBron probably gets another one in there, and Steph probably gets another one in there, right? Uh, but here's the thing. Does Steph with three titles but no KD, does that guy get more respect around the basketball world? I think so. And and so that's the thing. Like we talked about, the KD thing kind of was used against Steph in a lot of ways. Like it's crazy for both players. Like that's two NBA championships, like legitimate Larry O'Brien trophies. And for both players, for both KD and Steph, those two championships are, are viewed as incredibly low-level accomplishments by most people, again, outside of the Warriors fan base. Like people just don't care. And, and so had he gotten one without KD in the middle there, you look back at a three-championship career where he's clearly the best player on all three teams, I think he, I think probably he avoids some of the narrative struggle that he dealt with. But again, Steph doesn't give a shit. All he cares about is winning. He wanted KD. He got KD. And as a result, he's got four NBA championships, which not many uh, people in NBA history do. All right, let's uh, move on to our mailbag questions. So I've got two of them for you today. First one from James. Hi, Jason. In a previous video, you mentioned you don't believe in hypotheticals and are more interested in evaluating players on what exactly happened. Why then is there a section with each player that focuses on their what if? So to be clear, the what if section is just for fun. We are in the middle of the NBA offseason. <laughs> like I was looking at the calendar this morning. I think, I think the first preseason game is a month from today, October 5th. Which, good news for you guys, I talked about doing 15 season previews. Uh, that was going to cut off 15 teams, but I'm actually going to push it to four weeks and we're going to do 20 season previews. So I'm going to do full season previews for 20 NBA teams starting next Monday. Um, but like, we just have a lot of time to kill over the course of the summer. This has been just, this has been probably the most boring NBA off season that I can remember. There's just been literally nothing that's happened. And so, you know, we're just finding ways to kill time. And so I'll talk about a what if at the end of something like this in a brief context, just for fun. But when I really try to think about where I rank these guys, I'm not going to factor that in. Like I, the, that's why I spent, you know, 30 seconds on Steph's what if, and a lot more time on on everything else. It's it's again. I don't think it matters when I'm ranking players, or I don't think it should for other people. But obviously, uh, for fun, I'll, I'll do it in a situation like this. All right, one more mailbag question. After LeBron retires, will you have a new favorite NBA player? If yes, who will it be, and why? So, um, I after LeBron retires, I will have favorite players. But nothing like LeBron. Obviously, as you guys know, I became a fan of LeBron when I was basically a kid. So uh, for me, like th that, that, like that, there's like a weird childhood sentimentality thing that's going on there, right? And so I'll never be as much of a fan of a player as I was of LeBron. It's just not possible because I'm not a kid anymore. I'm a grown ass man, and and like I, it's just that's not going to happen anymore. Uh, but I do. It's funny, I have such a love for the game of basketball that I, I, I kind of find things that I love in every player. Like, even as I look back at, at players that I dislike for various reasons, right? Like, not a huge fan of James Harden, right? But, like, I literally am obsessed with his footwork on his step back three, and I copy it all the time, right? I literally stole my step back three from James Harden. Um, 
when I look at like Joel Embiid, who drives me crazy, like I his outrageous confidence and bravado on the court, I really like his footwork out of the post. I find extremely impressive. Like I find things that I like in players, even that I was watching highlights of Trey Young the other day on uh, on Twitter, just playing pickup basketball over the summer, and he hit this like he had this ridiculous like left to right cross into a hard forward step back into a right to left snatch back dribble into a pull up three and just buckled his defender. And I was like, Oh my God, that's one of the nastiest moves I've ever seen. And it's like, that's the thing is like, I don't like Trey young particularly as a player for various reasons, but like as a basketball fan, how can you not like some of the things that these guys do? Right. Um, so I, I kind of like everybody for various reasons, but if I had to, just for fun, I put together a list, my top five players under the age of 30, in no particular order, just as a fan, guys that I really like. Um, Nikola Jokic is on there. I think it's just so unbelievably impressive to be a dominant number one in the league with a league this talented. Like, we are in a league, remember our top 14, we've got Steph, Giannis, Kevin Durant, Joel Embiid, Anthony Davis, Jason Tatum, LeBron James, Jimmy Butler, Luka Doncic, Kawhi Leonard, Devin Booker, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Damian Lillard. Like, our league is freaking stacked. And Jokic is like a clear number one. I think that is super, super cool. I've talked a lot about it on the show, but his uh, his footwork is something that has always been super impressive to me. His touch, I don't think people realize how hard you have to work to be able to make push shots and floaters and hooks at damn near 70%. So Jokic I've been a huge fan of. Shea Gilgis-Alexander is one of my favorite young players. Um, the old school approach to to uh, offense that like hard downhill pressure on the rim mixed in with short range pull-up shooting just reminds me of a lot of vintage guards. Anthony Edwards, same thing, outrageous confidence. Um, the, the just like kind of vintage throwback two guard thing he's got going on. He missed a turnaround fadeaway against Lithuania um, in the first half uh, the other day where he did the D Wade like half spin and then come back and just buckled the dude and, and he missed it. He shot it long on the back rim and I was just like, God, I love this kid. Like, it, like I, I just have this feeling like Anthony Edwards in his mid to late twenties is going to be potentially the best player in the league and, and be just a, an incredible watch. So Anthony Edwards is up there for me. Love his confidence. Luka Doncic at four. Uh, uh, and again, no particular order, but Luka Doncic is the fourth guy. I, uh, Luca, I, I think is you know again, and I he's actually a good example of a guy who I love hate right because like the, his play style drives me crazy sometimes, and he could be a whiner. But um, I am obsessed with Luca Doncic's uh, 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 like the ability he has to sell his moves because he's not fast, and he is big and strong. That's obviously his physical trait that he dominates games with, but. He sells every single move with every part of his body. As a matter of fact, like if you were a young ball handler, regardless of your athleticism, the guy that I would watch in terms of body language when he's making his moves is Luca. Because again, it goes to show you, you don't have to be whipping the ball all over the place to get by people off the dribble. All you have to do is get a defender to guess wrong. And the best way to get a defender to guess wrong is to sell. A, a, a particular move and then transition into another one, right? And like you'll see Luca setting up for a left to right crossover and he'll have his shoulders open to the left. 
and his whole body is positioned towards the left, and then he'll like cut across, and like you'll see defenders take a slide step that way. So many guys will just bring the ball out to the left while they're squared up with the defender, and they'll whip it across to the right, but the body doesn't move at all, and so the defender stays squared up. And so Luca, I think, is a really fun basketball player to watch from the standpoint of skill development and kind of learning how to beat people off the dribble without an incredible quickness advantage. I've always been a fan of Luca. And then lastly, Devin Booker. He's just very similar body type uh, to me, that like 6'5", 6'6", two guard. Um, and he takes a lot of similar shots that I like to take. And so as a basketball fan, I've always really appreciated Devin Booker uh, uh, because I, I just want to be more like him with when I play on the court. And so Devin book, like those are, those are my five guys under the age of 30 that I'm just a fan of. So that's not a ranking of any sort. It's just, just basketball players that I really like and basketball players that I'll be rooting for into the future. Um, and then honestly, like there's a lot of really young players that I love. I love Jaden Ivy. I love Paolo Boncaro. I'm big, big Chet Holmgren fan. I'm hearing really good things about Chet Holmgren, in his work ethic and his competitiveness. So I'm excited to root for him. I mean, there's, there's so much to get excited about in the young players. Jabari Smith Jr. is another one I really like. So again, after LeBron retires, I'm kind of looking forward to that phase of my career, uh, breaking down the game of basketball because like I'll ditch the childhood sentimentality and just be a fan of the game, you know, for, for the rest of my life. And I, and I'm looking forward to that. All right, guys, that is all I have for today. As always, I sincerely appreciate you guys supporting me in the show. Uh, be back tomorrow with number three. We have three more shows this week on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then we'll head into our season previews starting on Monday. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.